1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the long and winding railroad here at postwrestling.com it's uh, our look back at the greatest era of in-ring professional wrestling in the history of the entire sport and that's all japan pro wrestling of the 1990s and uh, my name is wh park and uh, first of all i want to Thank all the people who sent me some nice messages about uh, how much they enjoyed the Kenda Kabashi biography episode I did with Case Lowe in the last episode. It's very much appreciated. Thank you very much. And uh, just as a preview for the next biography, we're gonna round out the four pillars. We're gonna do an episode on Akira Tawe that I think will probably illuminate how great this guy is because there's a lot of you know slander towards uh, Akira Tawe out there, which I just cannot stand for. So we're gonna change people's minds. We get around to doing that particular episode, but t- but today is not a it's not a biography episode. We're going to do a match review today, and uh, joining me is a member of the post-wrestling team. He's our one of our reviewers. He does a lot of the, the Japanese uh, shows that I don't have the time to watch, I don't have the inclination to write reports about, or I just don't watch these particular promotions, and that is Mark Buckledee. Mark, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, WH. Thank you for having me on. And and you do a lot of the, the, the reviews for like, say, for example, DDD Deeper Wrestling and its affiliates like uh, TJPW or, or what have you. I, I might do something about Noah because I like actually like Noah for the most part. But a lot of the stuff that like I like we might not cover on audio, you will do write ups for us for the website.
0: Yeah. So, I've been doing the, um, the written reviews for New Japan for um, for a bit of a while now, actually, because I think the first review I did for the site was when Wei and John actually went to the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom.
1: That's right. I remember because like John was like trying to figure out who can do the review. And I think I, because I had met you in uh, June of that year, or the year before, yeah. right? It was that 2019, yeah? And because yeah. we met at Dominion, uh, which had the what was the main event again? Was that was that Okada versus Jericho?
0: It was Okada versus Jericho. Yeah,
1: oh, that guy. That fucking match was shit. Oh, uh, yeah. But it had that nut, nutty uh, match between uh, Ibushi and um, and Naito. Naito. Yeah, where I like listen. I know people are like, I don't care if they try to kill each other. Listen, you see that shit live, you're gonna, you gonna I you gonna care? Like I was like. Holy shit I think they, they, I think he's I think either one of those two at some point in the match I was like, I think they're dead if you, if you don't care, that's fine I'm not telling people how to enjoy wrestling but I what I take kind of umbrage to sometimes to, to an extent mark is when people tell me how I should feel about watching a wrestling match. you know what I mean or how I should comment about wrestling or watching a wrestling match if I want to say, hey, maybe these guys should like take it fucking easy. That's my prerogative. If you think they should just murder each other with like their crazy moves and stuff, that's your prerogative. I'm not gonna tell you how to enjoy wrestling. Don't tell me how to enjoy wrestling or how not to enjoy wrestling, as it were, either.
0: Oh oh yeah. It's at the end of the day, your experi- your whole life is your experience of everything, basically. So at the end of the day. Yeah. Um It's up to you to uh, make up your mind on things, and part of life is learning that.
1: Definitely. So we met there at that show, and then I, you know, we I think we kept in touch via Twitter and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, you should contact Mark Buckledee at Monkey Buckles. That's your Twitter handle, and uh, and he did, and and he it was either John or Way. I forget which one actually contacted you. It was John, and then the rest is history. You've been with us for like two years now.
0: Yeah. Pretty much. Um, it's funny, actually, I, when we met um, at Dominion, um, I actually thought I may left a bad impression on you.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was fine. I, I had a very good time that day. It was, it was hot as hell. The only thing that left a bad impression on me was the weather, as usual, you know, being summers in Japan. I'm not a huge fan of, of summertime in Japan. One of the things like I'm not missing about Japan being back in Canada is is the hot and humid weather. That that comes from about the time of like the end of May up until like the end of um, September. So, not missing that mark, you know. I actually like the very comfortable, uh, cool weather we have here in Toronto during uh, you know the summer months.
0: Oh yeah. Um, well, I'm English, which basically means we um, appreciate the the hot days of summer that we get because we don't get a lot of them.
1: No, you guys tend to have a lot of uh, what, like uh, increment weather, like inclement weather. I think what I have to say is uh, yeah. like with rain, a lot of rain in, in the United Kingdom.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. Some, uh, the uh, For June, it's been all over the place, really, um, with weather. It's like you think it's sunny for a couple of days and then it's uh, horrible. And I've just realized how much of an English stereotype I am because I'm talking about the bloody weather.
1: Ah, oh, it's okay. That's why we. That's why I called you to come on the show to 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 provide some of the uh, the uh, English stereotypes that I always like getting from people like you know JP Houlihan and uh, Martin Bushby, people like that. So it's more than welcome. Don't worry about it, Mark. But uh, let's talk about your fandom of uh, all Japan pro wrestling from this era. Like, how did you get familiar with it? Uh, you know, for from because you you're you're type of you're a fan of wrestling of all you know varieties.
0: Yeah. So, um, unlike most people, I ended up getting into wrestling in sort of my mid to late teens, and I had no family that watched it. So it was WCW Worldwide, which, um, when I first saw it, uh, because it was on uh, primetime uh, British TV, even had Batman style POW graphics to hide a lot of the violence. And from there, I ended up uh, getting into WWE uh, and then really Japanese wrestling was uh, in 2004. I think it was, uh, there was a British channel called the wrestling channel and they had a lot of us indies. They had TNA, they had ring of honor, but they also had uh, Japanese wrestling. So they had uh, Noah, they had Gaia. Um, uh, they had zero one at one point and that's where I first became aware of Japanese wrestling, and then as I got into Ring of Honor, um, I was a big Ring of Honor fan, um, and I started going on the message boards and so the the area when I was really into Ring of Honor was 2006. So you had uh, Kenta coming in, you had Marafuji coming in, you had the Dragon Gate guys. So that's when I really became aware of Japanese wrestling, and then when you become more aware of Noah. You then realize, well, hold on, these guys came from All Japan,
1: and then so you just do like kind of go backwards and then think, okay, I like Kendo I like Mitsuharu Misawa, but they're like you know kind of older at this point in two thousand and six. Like where where did they were they always in Noah? Oh no, there was something before Noah called All Japan for Wrestling, and so you would go how so how would you go find like the matches for for this for All I, Japan stuff?
0: I was. I, I was never a, a tape trader I was too late really for tape trading so by the time I was looking for Japanese wrestling i was I was using uh message boards and then this was at the time when uh, basically it was all download links it was like media upload and all that and it shows how trusting we were that you'd go on to a wrestling message board and someone would put a random download link and you'd just think oh yeah I'll download that um and looking back it's like yeah if someone was really unscrupulous a lot of people's computers could have really got messed up by that but um and so it was um message boards like a ring on a message board um alan 4 was a massive uh tastemaker back then because he'd have like threads on the ccw fans and i'd just be seeing all the match recommendations on there um and then i came across um ditch and he was another guy that was just recommend matches and i'd just follow through them and funnily enough um i just dipped into pretty much almost anything and completely by accident i ended up writing about um japanese wrestling for about a year on a website called inside pulse and then i just fell out of it
1: and so let's talk about today's match review what what are we going to be talking about today mark
0: um, today, we're going to be talking about Mitsuhara Misawa and Yoshinari Ogawa versus Kent Kabashi and Junakiyama from uh, the 23rd of October 1999.
1: And this is the, uh, you know, collectively, Misawa and Ogawa are known as the Untouchables. They're part of a, of a larger faction of like about four people also in the group, but this is the main portion of that group, and Misawa and Okawa. And Masao was of course the leader and Ogawa was his regular tag team partner and then on the other side we have the the faction of Burning you know, which is the faction created by Kenta Kabashi and Jun Akiyama and also includes Kentaro Shiga and Yoshinobu Kanamaru as well in that group and you can see them as being seconds in this match but this is basically Untouchables versus burning it's a hot feud it's a carryover of the feud that Misawa has been having with Kobashi ever since they broke up as tag team partners and Kobashi left the Super Generation Army and by by all accounts at this point mark like Super Generation Army which started in the like early 90s is pretty much done by this point Kobashi Kawada has already left years ago to form the Holy Demon Army with with the Kiritawe and Akiyama and K- Kobashi left soon after. And then Akiyama became Masao's partner. And then Akiyama left Masao to join up with Kobashi. And then now Yoshinari Ogawa got called up to be Masao's partner. And Ogawa was in the Holy Demon Army faction before. Da, 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 da. It's it's a it's a really interesting, like, you know, kind of like um one of those, you know, charts you can make on a like a whiteboard, you know, putting up like post-it notes or what have you, and then just drawing all the lines, connecting the dots and relationships that these people have with one another but essentially this is the late 90s this is 1999 it, we're, we're getting to the to the tail end of this era of, of um uh you know the king's road as the exodus is going to be coming about a year later uh with with, Mis- with misawa taking everyone to go basically to to form pro wrestling noah but this is a really interesting time especially i think for for tag teams in the company because you know you have the holy demon army still running around um you know, like Katawe and Kawada, who are basically the premier tag team, not only in all Japan, but I feel in the world at this time as well. But like, you know, they've, they've had like about a five, six year run at this point. So, you know, like they're not the most, they're not the freshest team. Around, but you got all these really great tag teams that have just been formed in the last year or so. Musawa and Ogawa, Akiyama and Kobashi, but also you also have like you know teams like um, believe it or not Johnny Ace and Mike Barton, the former Bart Gunn, who was brought in because Baba saw he him knock out Steve Williams in the brawl for all, and thought yeah I'm gonna bring that guy over. He's got. He's got legitimacy in my eyes because he knocked out Steve Williams, you know. So he, he was brought over paired with Johnny Ace, and they were actually a really fun team to watch. You also had the, you know, the rising of No Fear of Takao Mori and Yoshihiro Takayama as a great tag team in, in in the division as well. It's just a really exciting period, I feel, in in all Japan's tag division.
0: You also had, um, I mean, the year before you had Hansen and Vader, which is. Arguably the most ridiculously OP tag team you could probably ever have.
1: Well, I mean, you, you 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 could go back with Vader and talk about his tag team with uh you know with Bam Bam Bigelow in New Japan. Oh yeah, good point. But yeah, I mean, but I I don't know. Like for me, it's like you know Hanson by '98 is kind of you know done, and like that mm. that tag link that they were in together was 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 a good resurgence for Hanson, but it didn't last for very long. Like I, by this point, like Vader is now teaming with. A variety of people like scorpio hasn't been brought in to be his tag partner yet i think scorpio's you know kind of like milling about in the i don't know if he's in the company in 99 i think he, he comes in the tail end before the exodus and he's doing junior heavyweight stuff for for all japan hmm. so but at this point vader is just like you know teaming with random people here and there like what i think they should have done was put vader with with uh, I like Gary Albright like I don't I think Gary Albright's still yeah. running around I don't think he had he passed away at this point. So that would have been an awesome team Vader and Gary Albright.
0: Oh definitely. Um it's it's funny that you said about um Burning and uh Aaron Nagawa because you look at I mean you can argue that um Akiyama and Kabashi have been working with each other pretty much since Akiyama joined the Super Generation Army. So, you know, even if they've not been teaming in traditional tags, they've been in the six-man tags for years. But as you said, Agawa always been on the other side against uh, Misawa. So when he, before uh, he was on the Holy Demon Army side, he was part of uh, Sarutagun. So it's like uh, Misawa formed this established team with a guy that Pretty much for most of his career, he'd always been on the other side with and against.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, even before you know the Holy Demon Army, he and before Saruta again, he was actually in the Revolution, which was Tenru's group, which had you know Kawada, and like Masao was always like before that was affiliated with with Jumbo Saruta, so. If for for pretty much the entirety of the of Ogawa's career he and Misawa had been on opposite sides and the other thing about Ogawa that's just interesting is that you know he he was always a junior heavyweight in fact at the time of this match he's one half of the world tag team champions this is this match is also for the All Japan for Wrestling world tag team titles but at the same time Misawa is the current holder of the triple crown And Ogawa is actually the current holder of the PWF, the Pacific Wrestling Federation junior title. So, and like, I have notes here, like he is in the midst of his, uh, where is that my notes for this? He's in the midst of his, like his fifth, no, his third, third reign as junior heavyweight champion. And this is his final reign because, of course, he would be going to no and dropping the title. But he, he has been the champion for 698 days. But you, before you think, wow, what an amazing title reign. He's only had like about five or six uh, title matches, defenses of that title. So just, you know, kind of... Something you got to understand about John Baba, he never really cared about his junior heavyweight division and or his junior heavyweight title. So, you know, like someone could hold it. And he'd probably forget who, who was the champion at, at some point before maybe they walked by him backstage. And it's like, oh, baba Son, I have the junior title. Like, Do you want to take it off me at any point? Oh, let's have a title match with you and, uh, you know, uh, Phil LaFon or, you know, Dan Crawford, whatever name he was using at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, 600 days sounds a lot until you realize, that I think, Fuchi had that
1: belt for nearly four times that. Yeah, and he probably defended it, like, maybe seven times in that time, that time period, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, But, yes, so you had picked October twenty third, 1999, Burning versus uh, Misawa and Ogawa, the Untouchables, who are the current World Tag Team champions, and this is for the titles. And why did you pick this match, Mark?
0: Um. Honestly, I was actually inspired by your um, your last podcast, the one with Case Low uh, going through Kabashi. And I was listening to that um, and you'd, you'd asked me to do the podcast and I had no specific match that stuck out. And I was just listening through and thought, well, yeah, I've heard good things about um, a few different periods. And I just thought, well, let's look at a period that you've not really covered on the podcast before and then you were talking about the Masawa and Agawa tag team and their matches against Burning and I thought well I've heard good things about that and I've not watched it so I just sat down and watched it and there was just things about this match that just really suck out and just thought yeah it's definitely worth talking about.
1: Yeah, for we'll we'll talk about those things. Uh, And this, just so people know, this this match comes from the Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium in the city of Nagoya. And have you ever been to Nagoya? I know you've been to Japan, uh, Mark, but have you been to Nagoya? I have been through Nagoya on the bullet train many a time, and I've never stopped there. Well, as someone who's been there several times, someone who's done who spent like an extended period of time doing their their job training. In the city of Nagoya, in the heart, in the in the heart of the city Nagoya. It's really not that exciting, to be honest with you. I at least I don't feel like people in Nagoya who may or may not be listening to this, people who've been to Nagoya, who love Nagoya, who may or may not be listening to this, might be like saying, How dare you? But here's the thing: I've been to Tokyo, I've been to, you know, Osaka, I've been to Hakata, I've been to Fukuoka, I've been to, you know, Air- I've been to multiple Japanese cities. Nagoya is probably the low end of the spectrum for me, just because I don't think it's that exciting for a major city. It doesn't have like kind of the uh, excitement of either Tokyo or Osaka. It's just it's just there. You know what I mean? Like I really can't really recommend going to Nagoya for anything outside of like uh, maybe some of the food there.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you you know me when I go so to japan basically my trips are a mix of wrestling and tourism sightseeing and it just never really stuck out compared to a lot of the other cities i ended up visiting
1: yeah i mean if you've been to nagoya you're listening to this and you love it that's awesome just for me my own personal experiences i i did my training there that may have colored it i did not enjoy my my training period for the job i had at the time in, in nagoya so there you go. Anyways, this is from Nagoya. It's a it's a great wrestling city. I'll say that the crowds are always great. And The crowd in this particular match is incredible, which we'll talk about, I suppose, during the, the course of the view of this match. But but Mark, let's let's just start uh, from the beginning of the video. We see the Untouchables come out to the unmistakable sounds of uh, Masao's theme song, Spartan X, and they're wearing very cool matching ring jackets.
0: Oh, oh yeah, just the. The matching white ring jackets, which is a, a good way of tying them together, considering that, especially the big teams, um, really for all Japan, never really wore matching gear because they had their own specific colours. So you've got the white jackets, and you've got Masao in his green and white trunks, and then you've uh, and then you've got Agawa in his uh, lovely zebra skin uh, shorts,
1: which, by the way, he still wears. To this day in 2021 <laughs> he's mm-hmm. never changed like he might have a variation of the zebra pattern on his shorts like he's wearing kind of like longer shorts like biker shorts right and he's either wearing like either like all zebra skin or he's wearing like You know like uh two-tone right it's either black with like the back is black but the the front part of his of his shorts is like the the zebra print and and i just i just at first when i first saw agawa i was like i didn't have the greatest impression of him but as the years went by i've i've gained a very very deep appreciation for yoshinari agawa he's he's an amazing wrestler for one thing and but the other thing is like you know what he makes that work for himself, and that's all you can ask for in anybody who is in wrestling with unique gear. He,
0: he stands out for multiple reasons in this match with his gear, with his his size, with the fact that his striking is um, not as impactful as the others, and that's actually what helps make this match is that it adds a whole new dynamic to say um, – a match against the holy demon army where you've got a bit more even keel
1: well you know you talked about this idea of like people not having matching gear in the tag division in japan in general but like particularly in in all japan but one thing that is interesting is that the team of no fear you know pretty much has matching gear in the sense like they they just wear all black you know And I think there's a deliberate attempt not to change the colors of either Takayama or Mori. But the other thing I like, what I like about burning besides like Ogawa, like, sorry, Akiyama and Kobashi are just an amazing combination together is that you know, for without changing their respective, you know, gear that they, they have the closest kind of um like kind of the, the cut of their of their gear is the same. They both wear trunks, but they they also have similar piping to their boots and they wear a similar style of knee pads and things like that where like it almost seems like they're wearing matching gear, but retaining their individuality, if you know what I mean. It's kind of like, you know, like the Midnight Express have like one where Bobby Eaton wears long long tights and like whoever Stan Lane or Dennis Connery wears like trunks, but you know, there's, there's, there's still kind of matching enough where it's like, Oh, okay. Like they're part of the same team. I feel that way about, about burning. And plus you've
0: got, um, I noticed on the ring jacket of one the seconds towards the end of the match, you've got that lovely burning logo with the, uh, the circle around it, which
1: is half blue, half orange. That's right. The colors of Akiyama and, Kendo Kobashi there, but um you know what's what's interesting. Let's get into the match. Like before, before I'm gonna let you lead the review, but you know, for the most part, like what I want to say is like I I really noticed that the Nagoya audience, the fans in Aichi, they love they love Yoshinari Gawa and I don't know why he's really popular in this match in Nagoya, but he's from he's not from Aichi. He's from the Ibaraki prefecture, which is like more like North, uh, Northeast part of Japan, which is, it's like North of Tokyo. So it's kind of far away from, from Aichi prefecture, from the city of Nagoya. So I'm just trying to figure out what is it about Yoshinari Gawa that he's so popular during this match. I, I got to think it has to do with the push he's been getting, becoming Masao's partner and being able to showcase on a, on a wider platform, um, his prowess, his technical skills as a wrestler.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it's a big bit. That um, maybe a little bit of the long-serving, uh, long-serving uh, wrestler finally getting a, a big opportunity. I mean, his for for his career, and he'd been wrestling since 1985, so he's about 14 years in at this point, and he's literally. His only forehand to the heavyweights was, I think, one champion's carnival appearance in 1992, where he won one whole match. So it was like, maybe they feel that finally he's getting some recognition.
1: Yeah, that could be it. Like You also have to remember, like uh, if you're not in the main event mix on in All Japan you're you're not likely to get too much TV time because like the, for the most part the All Japan television show was a clip show like so they would show like the highlights from various like undercard matches and and maybe like portions uh, you would be joined in progress for like, like a title match. Like it wasn't that common that you would see an entire card. So like people, like junior wouldn't really get that much of a shine on, on television. So like only the most hardcore fans would probably be, have seen a lot of Yoshinari Ogawa. If they go to a lot of the, the, you know, go to see the house shows essentially during the tours and stuff like that. So the fact that he's getting like the spotlight as the South's partner is great for him. And I think really good for the, the undercard of the roster this time because they're like thinking hey i might have a chance to like kind of break out and become more uh recognizable to the the fan base the general fan base out there so i I thought it was really cool it's a really cool point about this match that you know doesn't really affect the outcome of the match or anything like that but i just think it adds atmosphere to the overall feel of this match before for ogawa yeah
0: i think another Aspect because I saw the because this is the second match between these two teams they'd had uh, another title match in March of the same year, and Agawa uh, basically did a very valiant att- and that match was lost by Masaru Nagawa and, and Agawa did a very valiant attempt at trying to win the match against Akiyama, uh, just constantly fighting but ended up failing. So I wonder if the fans also are bearing in mind that hold on he might have lost last time but he played his heart out and let's get behind the guy
1: that isn't entirely possible so before i let you carry off with the uh the, the match review here mark let me just say that make a one final point of that is our ref for this match is a legendary kyo Iwata. and don't the uh fans tell you that they do they you know as soon as uh his name is announced. They, they like to shout out his first name, Kyohei. So there you go. I'm he, and he is in 2021, still the main ref to, you know, to varying degrees of success. I, I'm, I, it pays me to say this, Mark, I'm not a huge fan of Kyohei Wada in the last uh, three, four years of his ref, referee career, just cause like, I do think he, he's uh, made it more about himself, unfortunately, than he has making than he does making it about the match itself. But that's neither here nor there. Well, let's talk about this match. Let's go ahead. Okay, then. So start the match, we've
0: got uh, Agawa and Akiyama facing off. And Agawa imme- and, and immediately starts uh, an arm wringer exchange with Akiyama. And this whole opening sequence is just about Agawa proving that He's a little bit quicker, but more importantly, a little bit smarter than Akiyama as he's constantly trying to um, outthink Akiyama. There's a great spot where after doing quite well with some mat holds, basically Agawa grabs Akiyama in a hammerlock and throws him straight into a Masawa forearm to try and steal a quick pin.
1: Yeah, I, I like that particular sequence because it's kind of a prelude to some of the really excellent teamwork we're going to see from both teams, but in, particularly, in particular from the Untouchables.
0: Oh, yeah, the, the Untouchables uh, teamwork. Yeah, we'll definitely be mentioning that later. Um, so after that, um, we get another armoring a sequence, and Agawa basically seems to be doing quite well with the holds, But um, and this is a theme of the match. Akiyama quite quickly overpowers him with a, a strike. And then that gives Akiyama the opportunity to tag out Kabashi. Tag yeah. into Kabashi.
1: One thing we, I want to kind of point out is, excuse me, is that Ogawa at this point in time in, in the, on the All Japan roster is probably the most sound technician, you know, in the company. And I think, you know, just because like, I think he's always been interested in Matt wrestling. But also because like he had, all the experience he's had in the junior division, wrestling people like in in the early part of the decade, he'd be wrestling people like Dean Malenko, Joe Malenko. He'd be wrestling like, you know, Dan Crawford and a whole bunch of other people, you know, as well as Masanobu Fuchi and, and Siyoshi Kikuchi as well. But I think he is, his technical skills like help him establish a foothold in matches against guys who are relatively bigger than him, like Kobashi and Akiyama and it it lends a like a, a credibility to him being in the ring with these guys as a as a junior heavyweight
0: oh oh yeah definitely not just the size but the the technical aspect adds a lovely little dynamic into this so at this point um kabashi's tagged in and agawa basically uh tags in masawa who wants to tag in and we just get a moment as Kobashi and Masao just slowly circle each other and let the crowd soak in, let the tension build up, let things go before they go into that first lockup.
1: It's very reminiscent of a lot of the interactions like Masao would have with Toshiaki Kawada. And, you know, like the thing is, is I think deliberately so, like Masao wanted to focus more on getting, you know, Kobashi. To a level to surpass Kawada, for personal reasons I believe, as well as professional ones. But you know, like he wants to have a rivalry that has the same level of intensity and as and same level of recognition. I think that he had with Kawada.
0: Oh, oh yeah, and it's it's clear by the end of this match um, that that was one of the goals of this match. So um so they finally lock up and kabashi starts throwing a, a couple of chops which masawa takes and then kabashi throws a couple more and then Misawa um takes over throws some forearms and then masawa hits a drop kick uh, that sends kabashi out uh, to the outside so masawa goes um, looks for his uh, infamous elbow so a Cedar, but uh, kabashi moves so, and this is a sign of Misawa's athleticism, even at this, fairly, at this point uh, of his career, where he manages to flip over the ropes and land on his feet. Uh, and then in the background, you can see Junakiyama just staring and waiting. And as soon as Misawa lands on the apron, Akiyama runs in and just clatters Misawa in the back with a running
1: knee. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. He's just like... You know, this is something that Misawa does all the time. He does the flip over the top rope. He's holding onto the ropes. He's going to, he lands on his feet, as you said. He's going to hit, he's going to hit somebody with his, like a, probably a flying elbow or maybe even a drop kick. But, you know, Akiyama's been on the receiving end of this. He's seen it so many times. He's been Misawa's partner. He knows what's happening. <laughs> he's waiting for him. And he clatters him, as you say. My first time hearing that word, I love it. And what I would like to say, he fucking not, not he fucking clobbers him with that fucking knee, and sends him flying into the guardrail. It's beautiful. Just some great, great wrestling. Psychology is off the charts, even early in this match.
0: Oh, oh yeah. The uh, the crowd just react to this. just, And it's great, because it basically says that um, Akiyama re- realized... Akiyama and Kabashi, they they know Masawa. They know you've got to take every shortcut you can, because... Um, Masao is at a level where he's just he's essentially above everyone else almost uh, to varying degrees so it's a case of if we have an opportunity we are taking it and Kabashi really takes is he just throws uh, Masao repeatedly into the guardrails here yeah and you know like
1: that you see that a lot in this match a lot of stuff happening in the guardrails you know like being people being sent into them a lot of fighting on the uh around the ring um not, thankfully it doesn't spend they don't spend too long a period but they, they go out there enough times where i'm just like i notice that about the match and, and i'm just like eh, i i'm not a huge fan of fighting on the outside that's just my thing
0: yeah it it's um i mean they they do this three times and this is a great match but you can also see where bad habits may you could argue bad habits are starting to creep into the All japan style
1: yeah at some point they do stop with the guardrails and they go back in the ring and uh i have to note here mark that the, the birdie do some really cool double teams amasawa including this really uh interesting attempt at an assisted powerbomb. But, you know, Masao being Masao, he counters with a double head-scissors combination and fires back on both burning members with, like, a series of elbows to their faces.
0: Yeah, and those are some really hard elbows. And and while this is going on, Agawa basically decides, hold on, this is unfair to one. So literally just comes in and backdrops uh,
1: Akiyama. Yeah, I think something he picked up when he was in uh, Sarutigan, maybe.
0: Oh, yeah, he... Um definitely a loves a backdrop as we'll see in this match um, so Misawa basically kicks Kabashi out of the ring with a, a drop kick with a low drop kick and finally hits that elbow Suicida before um, basically paying Kabashi back by uh, throwing him around the guard rails and in a, a brilliant spot that I'd never seen before Kabashi reverses the Irish whip and sends Masao in. And Ogawa basically grabs Masawa's arm and they do a do-si-do, reversing Masawa, who comes flying back at Kabashi and nails him with a with a big forearm.
1: Yeah, again, another great example of like the, the tag team chemistry between Ogawa and Masawa. Can I just say, Mark, like I'm like you and I have not shared uh match notes, right? We've you we've shared like background notes, which you're gonna get into, but one thing I have to—I I find great amusement—is like how much of the same like terms and and points where uh, like your notes match with mine because I also use the term dosido in in my in my notes and we did not share this just so people we know. we did not at all no so this really great so anyways yeah that's that's a really great um, example of like some just just amazing chemistry between I I've said in the Kobashi episode like I think Masawa's Greatest team is my favorite team of Misawa is with Ogawa. Like and he was teaming with Kawada, he was teaming with Kobashi. But I really love his team with Masawa with Ogawa because it's just such a fun team to watch, like with the the kind of chemistry they have and like the innovative tag team moves that they do with one another.
0: And yeah, there there's definitely something that I'll come on to in a minute with the uh the chemistry between the two. Um and just it's a different dynamic that you get to other Masawa and Masawa teams uh so Kabashi is thrown back into the ring, and agawa basically decides what can I do to this guy who's much bigger and stronger than me, and just repeatedly double stomps kabashi in the in the stomach uh Kabashi basically goes to fight backward chops and and this is a great strike exchange because. Ogawa's constantly ducking. He's dodging. He's trying to uh, avoid getting hit with his chops. Uh, and then he finally wins it with, uh, I believe, an eye poke and a jawbreaker.
1: I I made a point of noting that you know, like Okawa, he's working over Kobashi with what I call like his trademark Western stomping punches, like where he's punching a guy, mm. but he's stomping his foot. And I gotta I gotta think Ogawa has to be the lightest worker in the company at this time. Like I bet you he's not even touching anybody with these punches. Like his punches are very reminiscent of I feel Bret Hart's.
0: Yeah. Oh, they're they're not even like closed fist punches. They're essentially open hand punches. And it's definitely a very striking to see how he there's a pun there, and I did not intend that, um, to see how uh these, as you say, these stomping, light, open-hand punches compared to uh, the big forearms and the big chops. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, Agawa then basically tags in Masawa, who um, uses his uh, his iconic jumping kicks uh, and then basically lands uh, a senton to um, Kabashi for a two-count. And then we get a chin lock from Masawa. And you've made this point on other podcasts and I want to make it again. The way they work this, uh, the chin lock, the, the movement, Kabashi's movement, the, the mannerisms, they're telling a story here. This is not a, I am resting. This is a, I am trying to use this move to win or to weaken my opponent.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get a Keep in mind, like a lot of times the way Miss out wins his matches, especially with people lower than, than him on on the, the roster is with probably an elbow to the face. So, you know, the, his face lock or the chin lock, whatever you want to call it, is designed to weaken that part of the body to make it more susceptible for, you know, the force of the, uh, his elbow to knock them out in the match. And so it, it's, it's, it's really great psychology, like that. You, you don't appreciate really. I think if you, if you come into a match cold, into a missile match call and you see this you're probably think, oh it's the the his version of randy orton's fucking chin lock or something but it's not there's actually a a, a, psycho- a psychological point to it in terms of like him using it tactically strategically to wear down his opponent for something he's going to do later on the match to probably finish the match
0: oh yeah and after kabashi gets to the rope after this chin lock he tags in agawa and Ogawa hits, and I love the way he applies his sleeper, where he literally just spins around and jumps onto Kobashi's back. And the size difference is so much that Ogawa's hanging from Kobashi's back. His feet aren't touching the ground, and uh, Misawa has to come in and kick Kobashi in the gut just to let Ogawa get his feet back on the mat.
1: I think it's kind of more effective if he's like, if you know, is carrying the entirety of Ogawa on his back, like and adds to the kind of the effect of the sleeper hold but yeah i mean there there is something to be said of like okay you know Ogawa is much smaller than Kenta so you know Akema is i mean this Haramasawa has to come in to kind of even the odds here
0: and and that becomes a theme a theme a theme of the early going of this match is how Misawa is constantly helping out Ogawa at various stages um and almost acting like a uh like a bigger brother, as it
1: were. I think that probably maybe mirrors the relationship they probably had backstage. I think Masawa, if you look at his booking patterns with Ogawa, especially in in Noah, um, there is definitely like some kind of fondness he has for mm-hmm. Yoshinari Ogawa that carries over to like him pick. He, I, I would assume at this point he gets to pick who his tag team partner is. And I'm pretty sure he had picked Ogawa to be okay. Like, cause Bob was kind of like getting out of it. because of, of his own health issues. Like he's not being the, he's not booking so much. So Masao is taking more of the booking over in all Japan. And so like, I'm sure like, okay, I need a new tag team partner. It's going to be Ogawa. He's going to be my guy.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, so after this sleeper hold, uh, Kabashi escapes fairly easily. And in a, a small theme of the match, basically just uh, simply shoulder tackles Agawa uh, to wipe Agawa out and get the opportunity to tag in uh,
1: Akiyama. I think, you know, at this point, this is the point where he hits him with this really beautiful jumping knee, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Akiyama tags in and just... Com- completely ups the pace of the match with these lovely jumping knees. And then he attacks uh, Masawa on the apron uh, and then goes back to Agawa. And I just love that Akiyama coming in has just completely changed uh, the pace for this brief second before Akiyama basically then starts to... uh, Wear down a gaol with uh, it was a sleeper to start with, and th- which then moved into a front chancery.
1: One thing I, I want to say about you know, Akama's jumping knee I, I, for my money, I think it's maybe the best jumping knee in the history of professional wrestling. It, it's up there with Jumbo Surutas, and I think it's better than Harley Races and definitely better than that, uh, that one used by one Triple H. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, it, it's got really good form but it adds it has a sense of momentum to it, it he, he, he's coming in at such a speed the heights the, the feeling of impact it really does
1: uh look like a, a nasty move to take yeah also at this point this is where you know uh, Mitsuo Momoda on commentary he mentions that you know not only are the Untouchable is the, the current tag team champions, but you know, Masao is the current triple crown champion. This is his fifth and last reign. And of course, like as we mentioned before, Ogawa is the current junior heavyweight champion of the company as well.
0: Oh, yeah. So it, it's a team of champions who are the champions um against two young guys who in Kabashi has been the triple crown champion, and Inakiyama is someone who feels almost on the cusp of being at that level, if not quite there. Um, so, coming back to the match, um, after working over Agawa with this uh, front chancery, uh, Agawa gets the opportunity to tag out and Misawa just unloads on Akiyama with forearms. At, at the beginning, Akiyama is actually seems on an even keel, so they're quite balanced. It's uh, They're both exchanging it, and then just Misawa just takes over as uh the weight of uh Misawa's forearms is just too much for Akiyama um and then after that uh sorry I'm just trying to find where I'm on my notes here um yeah and after that uh Misawa applies his his legendary face lock and i love how Akiyama is clawing away he's trying to grab the hair he's trying to escape the hold but Misawa knows how to apply this hold so well that Kabashi has to come in with a, a chop to uh to save Akiyama
1: yeah chop to the back of Masawa's neck which <laughs> that's gotta that's gotta suck to take that
0: oh oh yeah and and also uh softening up the uh, the neck for later on which definitely, uh, definitely becomes a
1: a target definitely definitely
0: so, uh, Agawa tags in, and uh, this comes back to... I'm just, I'm just trying to find... Yeah, Agawa tags in, and after using his uh, stomp punches, as you call them, basically applies a sour face lock of his own, uh, which is this brilliant kind of, uh, as I say, little brother, like, look at me, look at me, I'm doing what you can do, and... The way Akiyama is in this hold is great because it's mirroring the kind of stuff that he was using when Masawa had the hold applied. And then because Ogawa isn't Masawa, Akiyama escapes quite easily by just kicking Ogawa in the face.
1: Yeah, it's a a great fun to see Ogawa like, hey, I'm with the biggest star in the company. I'm with the ace of the company, so I'm going to use a lot of his moves and including the face lock but there's we'll get to it later but he does a he ends up using another one of misawa's trademark moves as well later in the match um yeah i like then from this point on like you know akiyama kicks Ogawa's, you know Ogawa's face to get out of the move and then then now it's burning. So you're like for the most part intouchables have pretty much dominated the match i feel mark but now yeah. it's it's time for the burning to get the fucking heat on rat boy and by the way when I say "rat boy," that's his nickname. That's his literal fucking nickname, Yoshinari Gala. Because like, it has nothing to do with him being promiscuous or anything like that. Okay, it has everything to do with like he's sneaky and he's very cunning. That's why they call him "rat boy." Also, has something has something to do with his facial features, but that could just be my own, uh, you know, interpretation of that. And I might be being really unfair, but I'm just saying that's all.
0: Oh, yeah. I definitely remember that moniker from uh, the days when I was uh, on Noah message boards. Um, so burning takeover, and they've got some a very interesting double team, which is a, a Manhattan drop from Akiyama that's led straight into a, a chop, big chop from Kobashi. Uh, Kobashi then hits this uh, lovely stalling suplex, and then he follows it up with a Boston crab, and Akiyama decides. I'm going to help out with this, and basically does a knee drop to the back of Agawa's head while Agawa is in this hold. And then the Nagao, Nagoya crowd do not like that.
1: No, this is really interesting. You you think that this is just, you know, that they're, they're, there's no heels in this match per se, but this gets rather a negative reaction from the crowd that, that Akiyama you know, decides to just say, fuck you, Ogawa. And while he's in this rather painful-looking Boston craft from Kenne Kobashi, he decides to drop a knee to the back of Ogawa's head. And then, you know, I, I, I think it's more that that part, because then he does follow that up with blasting Masawa off the apron with an mm-hmm. elbow strike. But I think it's more the, you know, hurting poor Yoshinari Ogawa while he's in this Boston craft that that really kind of raises the ire of the uh, Nagoya crowd.
0: I, I think it's that kind of, feeling that it's a bit of unsportsmanship and definitely having seen the the march match between these two uh teams uh there were about four times in that match where both teams got booed just for doing things with the feeling that it was just unsportsmanlike so it's that kind of sense of fair play well it, i don't care if you smash someone that can see you coming don't do it from uh don't do it to a guy that can't do anything
1: to stop you can you imagine if they saw like something from you know these days, like someone lighting their kick pad on fire and kicking someone in the head? What, what would they do then? What, what would their reaction be to that? One wonders.
0: I uh, imagine putting a, an evil ti- an evil thirty-minute title match in front of this crowd. I, actually, uh, I'm I... imagining an evil title match, and I want to wipe that from my brain. Um, yeah, definitely. Anyway, to help do that. Um, so uh Agawa's in the Boston Crab and uh, Agawa gets a massive reaction as he actually p- manages to push up and you get the feeling that maybe he's strong enough to reach the ropes but no he's not got the strength and Misawa has to make the save with a with a, a fo- an elbow to break up the uh to break up the move. Uh and then coming back uh, at this point just for that, I've literally lost my place in the notes and I'll try not to.
1: I think uh, one thing I have in my notes is that there's this great double team move where, you know, like Akiyama grabs Ogawa by the legs and he launches uh, Ogawa into the corner where Kanekabashi is. And Kanekabashi is just waiting there. All he does is just chop Yoshida in the face with one of his trademark moves and i and i i love stuff like this i like get chopping someone not in their chest not in their throat but in their face i think it's just great great stuff when when i get to see stuff like that
0: oh oh yeah and before that um uh, agawa had tagged back in and just going to town on the uh, lower back of agawa with these elbows just kind of Follow up on the story that they were working over the back with the Boston Crab and now the elbows. Uh, Agawa tried to get a, a hope spot with um, a, sun- a lovely looking sunset flip, which didn't even get a one count. And this is a lovely touch. is As soon as he kicks out, Akiyama already has hold of uh, Agawa's uh, ankle. So Agawa can't go anywhere. It's just that lovely little touch of, nope, you're stuck here with me.
1: Oh, because he knows you give Ogawa space. Ogawa's is gonna like tie you up, in with his wrestling, and he does not need to be going through that again, you know. Like, or he's gonna get like he's gonna get punched in the face with the lightest punches in all of Japan for wrestling. <laughs> but you know, he has he does have to sell it because he is a pro. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But oh, yeah, yeah. it's it's smart. I noticed that detail too, and I was just like, that Akiyama, he's a smart motherfucker.
0: Oh god, yeah. Um... So after the catapult chop, um, Akiyama hits his Blue Thunder bomb, and Masawa is concerned enough to break it up with uh, an elbow, which leads to Kobashi throwing Masawa out of the ring, and Akiyama calls for his exploder. The crowd just lose themselves here, it's like, oh my god, is this it, and Ogawa, smart man that he is, basically throws himself out the outside to just escape this move.
1: Definitely. Really smart move. Excuse me. Really smart move. And um, Ogawa, like like everyone else in All Japan, like they know like if Akiyama hits you with that exploder, and I'm just talking about the regular exploder, not like the wrist clutch one that's going to drop you on your head. If he hits you with that exploder, the tide is going to change probably for the better of, you know, for the better for Akiyama, like you're probably unlikely to get, like, you know, like the advantage over Akiyama if he hits that move on you.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Um, so Kobashi's quite quick at throwing a gawa back in, which uh, gets a two count. Uh, and then Kobashi himself tags him with uh, a pair of running knees to the gut before uh, a tidy looking Russian leg sweep for a two count. Uh, Kibashi follows that up with a pump-handle power bomb, and yet again, Misawa is there to make the save. Uh, Misawa basically... And, th- and this is a touch, so Burning have dominated Agawa for quite a while at this point. And so after breaking up this move, it's like Misawa's had enough of waiting for a gawa to actually turn the tides he just does it himself by smashing Kabashi with a an elbow strike and then getting to the apron and uh agawa basically tags in. So Masao has essentially done his own uh work for him to get this hot tag. Um at this point uh yeah so at this point um Misawa's tagged in and he jumps off the top rope with a diving elbow to take out Kabashi. Akiyama tries to come in uh, and and Masawa basically takes Akiyama out and then follows it up with that uh, trademark spinning clothesline from uh,
1: Misawa to Kabashi. Yeah, the uh the, where he flies through like through the air. It's a great move. Great great move that I like to use. When I'm playing Masawa in virtual pro wrestling, it it
0: just, it's the kind of move you see it for the first time and it just sticks out as, well, that's something different. Uh,
1: I never thought it has that much impact, in my opinion, but I think it just looks so dynamic because he does do that spin. Like it, it just goes to show how athletic he is, even when he's like bigger. Like, you know, he's, he's gained a lot of weight because of all the injuries he has and he can't work out. But he's just able to still kind of fly when he needs to in big matches. And it, it's pretty impressive. Like, that's one thing you got to give to Basawa. Like, even when he's not so athletic looking, he still remains, like, pretty athletic. He still maintains his athleticism um, to, to where he can still do a lot of his trademark moves.
0: Oh, oh yeah. And he does quite a bit of uh, flying in this match. So, uh Kabashi tries to fight Masawa off with a chop uh, at one point, which Masawa manages to block. And then Masawa hits the hits the Tiger Driver and now in comes uh, Akiyama to break that up. Uh, Masawa doesn't like Akiyama breaking that up by basically getting rid of a gap. Akiyama again and goes up top for a Frog Splash, which gets another two count. Uh, and then... And then at this point, Masao goes for, like, uh, runs to the corner and tries to hit this rebound elbow. And Kabashi, who's seen this so many times before, slickly reverses it into a, a sleeper hold. And then after a couple of seconds, hits one hell of a, a sleeper suplex.
1: Yeah, this, like, literally, if you if you just watch it, if you pause it, and then just go kind of like, just, you know, like while it's paused, go through it. He does really literally drop Masawa on his fucking head. And it's it's pretty amazing, yet also kind of scary considering, you know, all the, the accumulated damage that Masawa endures during this time period. That, wow, you didn't really have to do that, dude. But but God bless you, because like, it, it makes that match look, that move particular, look really fucking great i gotta say that that's all. oh yeah
0: um as scary as it is it looks great and it's perfect because this is essentially the turning point so burning had control misawa was almost single handedly turning the tide and kabashi just put a stop to it with that uh with that big move um so kabashi gets a little bit of breathing space tags in akiyama and Akiyama sees an opportunity and he is not letting this opportunity go. He just goes full speed with two of those beautiful jumping knees. uh, Hits a double arm DDT, kind of reminiscent of how Kobashi used to use that move back in the early nineties and then hits this rather unorthodox, but I, I love this, this diving jumping elbow off the top rope to the back of Masawa's head, which just crumples Masawa to the mat for a, Two and a half count.
1: One one thing I like about this particular elbow is that it's done like like a like a forearm smash, right? This is the elbow yeah. that that you know Akuma pretty much lifts from from Masawa, but he jumps off the top rope and his timing is so perfect because he's he's cocking that thing in midair, right? Mm. And then as he's about to hit Masawa, he fucking brings it forward with such force that you think he's going to decapitate Masawa. Thankfully he does not, but my God, it's so impressive looking just, and if you think about it, if you really like take it, take a moment to analyze in your mind, okay, what does he have to do? He has to climb up the top rope. He has to jump off the top rope. He has to like start moving that elbow back here and he has to bring it forward just as precisely as he's going to make contact with the Sawa with his body. So it looks amazing. And he does all those things in like the, the two, three seconds that the sequence, you know, takes place in
0: when you break it down like that, it just makes it even more impressive because this is just beautiful brutality. And uh, so Misawa, as I say, kicked out of that move um, and Akiyama goes for uh, an exploder, but Misawa's just strong enough to essentially throw him off with an arm drag. And Akiyama, um, who's much fresher, Manage it runs the ropes to try and follow up but Agawa the sneaky man that he is throws this knee to the back just as Akiyama hits the ropes and Akiyama stumbles just enough to let uh, Misawa clock him with the elbow and that was the first time I think that Agawa had actually saved Misawa instead of the other way around
1: it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's pretty impressive. And I think this is probably the, the match to do something like that—that that kind of a spot with showcasing Ogawa, because this crowd loves them some Yoshinari Ogawa, as we said before. But we got to really say at this point in the match, Mark, like we, we're pretty much hitting the crescendo, you know, of this match because this crowd, every time there's a there's an attempt for a pin and there's a kick out, this crowd is going crazy.
0: Oh, then. Have- they're so hot for this match. Um, I watched this uh, a couple of times uh, to do notes, and uh, definitely I was... It kind of shocked me the last time I listened to it, just how hot they are for all of these uh, near-fools. Uh, so uh, Misawa tags into Agawa, who unloads with uh, a neckbreaker to Akiyama. Kabashi tries to come in and is uh, got rid of with uh, an Agawa Enzaguri. And then there's this lovely little moment where Agawa runs the ropes at breakneck speed and kind of outfoxes Akiyama and hits this uh, nice-looking DDT. And following that up, Agawa comes back to his his trusty backdrop suplex, and Kabashi basically makes a save for Akiyama by... Uh, breaking up the pinfall.
1: Yeah, there is from this point there's this amazing uh, double team sequence from the untouchables to Akiyama. They're just getting the heat on him which you know basically culminates in Ogawa taking Akiyama down with a drop toe hold and then Masawa leaps over Ogawa to nail Akiyama in the back of the head with a flying elbow. And this is something that they do a lot in their in their tag team matches, Ogawa and Misawa. But I love it every time I've seen it. And I'm just surprised more teams. I, I'm pretty sure there's been some tag teams since in America or Japan that have, like, stolen this move. But, like, it, it's such a, such a beautiful yet simple and elegant move. It's so simple, yet yeah.
0: it's just fantastic the the size difference as well with the smaller guy taking down Akiyama and then Masao bringing all of that size and power in with that elbow. As I say, it's simple, but it looks so dynamic. And uh, they follow this up with uh, a couple of bits and then some corner attacks and then Misawa hits a German suplex and then rolls Akiyama through straight into a bridging backdrop suplex by Agawa in another lovely double team, uh, which you feel might be it, but Kobashi's in there to push Agawa's legs and break up the bridge.
1: Well, I mean the bridge is very reminiscent of like of uh, Jumbo Serruda, so and of course Kobashi being familiar with with Jumbo Siruda and that, you know, backdrop suplex with a bridge, knows, oh my God, I got to break that up. That's not something Eke was going to kick out of. So he wisely knows from his own experiences, taking that move from, from Jumbo Siruda, hey, I better save my team's chances in this match by breaking that move up.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, so following up, uh, Agawa, you you referenced this earlier, Agawa hits a Tiger driver of his own, and the crowd loved this, but... Akiyama just manages to kick out um, because, of course, Agawa can hit the move, but he can't hit it as well as Masawa. Um, and then Agawa goes for one of his trademark sequences, which is very much not the kind of sequence you think of when you think of All Japan, which is this eye, boat, eye poke, jawbreaker, and then uh, figure four bridging pin for uh, another big near
1: can I just say, I love this move—the jawbreaker into the figure four uh, bridging pin. I I love playing this, playing Ogawa or using a creator wrestler and using this move as one of my finishers in ritual for wrestling too. I love this move. It's it's interesting to see like kind of the rise of like kind of this more technical wrestler in the mid card of All Japan, not only with Yoshinari Gawa but with Johnny Smith as well, who had. Different yet similar style of wrestling that he brought into All Japan at this time.
0: Oh, yeah. So, um, Agawa is basically looking to capitalize on this, but Akiyama, he's in dire straits, he's in trouble, manages to hit the exploder finally on Agawa and buys himself time. And uh, and now here comes Masawa, here comes Kabashi, it feels like fate.
1: It is. Uh, it's, it's. It's. It's a. It's a fateful. Going to be a fateful moment for Masao soon.
0: <laughs> yes, it will. Uh, so Masao is the first one to get, um, and he's actually controls this essentially uh, quite quickly. So he hits the tiger driver and manages to get um, a near fall on that, and then he follows up with um, a lovely diving breaker drop and Kabashi. Is brilliant here in how he gets sets up for the move because he gives Masao enough time, but he's, he's only looking at Masao for a very brief second before Masao hits that move. So you don't get that kind of, I am standing here waiting for you to be in position to hit me uh, element that you sadly get in so much wrestling.
1: I, I feel like these two have so much experience with one another that they can wrestle each other with their eyes closed. And this goes for like, you know, any combination of the pillars wrestling each other, whether it's Kawada, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, Taue, Masawa, whatever, that, you know, and, and, you know, they're, they're not choreographing these things. You know what I mean? This is, I think, you know, not to get on a like an old timer rant or anything like this, but this is something I think is lost in wrestling in, in a lot in 2021 is that, a lot of stuff is choreographed or like planned out beforehand, and that's fine in itself. But when you get to a point where like people are waiting for moves to happen, for waiting to take a move, yeah. it 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 takes you out of the match as a fan. It does. Like I don't care who you are; you could be fucking Will Ospreay and fucking Ricochet, or you could be like some schmuck on the indies, like another schmuck on the indies, like like oh, let's do this four fifty Dragon Rana off the top of a cage. But you got to make sure. You're standing there waiting for me while I go prepare this move. Okay, I'll do that for you. And no, fuck off. You look like fucking idiots. But these guys, like they know each other so well. Like, like, like you're saying, the way Kobashi sets up the move. He doesn't look like he's setting up the move. You have to really pay attention. And it's only the subtlest signs that you've noticed, Mark, right? It's not like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's waiting to take the move. Oh, this is he did this. This might be indicating that he's ready, he's setting himself up, but Maybe he's not. Who knows? Like you, It's that in ambiguity that I think is missing from a lot of wrestling today.
0: Yeah. So uh, Masawa follows that uh, neckbreaker drop-up with a Tiger suplex, which gets another big near fall. And at this point, Kabashi's in big trouble. Uh, so Misawa goes for the Emerald uh, Frozen, which is his latest big move. Um, I think... It was only a year or two before the move had been introduced, I think.
1: I think so. Like at this point, all these guys, all the pillars are just introducing new finishers. Like, you know, the, the Emerald Flotion, uh, you know, the, <laughs> by accident, Kawada creates the Kanzo bomb. And I, I, am not, I can't really recall what Tauwe invented uh, maybe, but you know, like. Was it the
0: Oregard Tauwe at this point? Oh, might,
1: that might've might been it. I, I can't. Exactly. Remember when we do the Tawei, you know, biography episode Mark. just listen for that. I'm sure we'll, we'll have a a clarification on that point, but, but we're going to talk about what Kobashi has invented recently and you're going to get to that point. Yeah,
0: Yeah, we'll get there. So Kobashi escapes the Emerald Frosion and hits a desperate chop to the neck followed by a spinning chop to the face and then hits a, A quite nasty uh, release German suplex, which Masawa manages to shrug off. He's feeling it. He manages to shrug it off. And nope, Kabashi basically says, I'm not having that, and hits a half Nelson suplex. And all of the nasty big moves in the match at this point, they've all been on Masawa.
1: Well, I mean, he's the one who's going to get, you know, going to get the heat. Put on him in terms of like the the, the closing stretches of matches because that's that's his thing. That's why he's the ace, right?
0: Oh yeah. Um, so Akiyama uh, smells blood just as Kabashi does, and basically says, "Let's do this." And they do a a super power bomb, and my god, this super power bomb! It's like you see a super power bomb, and you're used to guys going out away towards the center of the ring. Nope. Uh, Masawa isn't even on Akiyama's shoulders properly. They just drop him straight down, straight down.
1: Oh, I mean, Uh, I think it looks way more uh, painful. Just go straight down. It looked
0: like it sucked, it really did.
1: Because he doesn't bump, like you know what I mean? He doesn't like bounce or bump or anything, like he just hits the mat with a thud.
0: I, I know which super bomb I will prefer to take, and it's not that one.
1: No, uh, definitely
0: not. And, and this is a great storytelling touch for me. Is So you've got Akiyama and Kabashi there, and Agawa comes in, and he realizes that Masawa's in trouble, so his first instinct is to hit Kabashi with this backdrop suplex. And he knows it's not going to turn the tide, but he's hoping that that little bit of time that Kabashi needs to take to recover will give Masawa time to recover.
1: Oh, definitely, because like the guy, that, even though it's Akama who hits the move, Kobashi is the legal man. Like Akuma not going to do anything to win the match after this move. It has to be Kobashi. So, like wisely, like you know, Ogawa like, oh, I got to stop this pin from happening. Okay, he doesn't see me, so I'm going to hit uh, you know Kobashi from the back with a backdrop suplex, and it, it works because like he he can't he can't cover him, so Masao has time to recover.
0: So Masawa and Kabashi finally get back to their, seat, uh, to their seats, to their feet, um, and they're just trading uh, big strikes. Uh, Kabashi manages to dodge the rolling elbow, and he just wails Masawa with this big, big, beautiful lariat, uh, which gets a, a big near fall to a massive pop from the crowd.
1: Yeah, we're we're definitely in the point where like the crowd is just like you know they're cheering, they're clapping, they're like stomping their feet on the floor, just my like my perfect storm of a Japanese wrestling match.
0: Oh yeah, it, it you know you know they know everyone knows that the end is not far. Yeah, um, Kobashi hits another big standing lariat. He's a... Uh, his uh, traditional style lariat and just stacks Masawa up with the cover and in comes Agawa to make the save at the last second. And this is a great touch, which comes back to Agawa's size is that how do Akiyama and Kabashi get rid of Agawa? And it's just a simple double shoulder tackle, double shoulder tackle, Agawa comes out, uh, and it's out the way and Akiyama is just, Watching Agawa, watching, and Kabashi feels it. So Akiyama hits his running knee. Kabashi hits the lariat, and then Kabashi goes in for the kill.
1: Yep. So he picks up Masawa in a, a backbreaker, as it were, but it's not a backbreaker mark because what is the end of hitting? But the
0: burning hammer.
1: The burning hammer. For those of you who don't know what the burning hammer is, basically. You know, Kobashi picks up a guy in a backbreaker move. He's, he's like, uh, facing it, upwards, his opponent. It's
0: essentially a, a torture rack. A torture the, rack. The Argentine
1: backbreaker, yeah. That's correct. It's a torture rack, but instead of trying to get a submission, it's just a setup, Mark. It's a setup to drop someone on their head. So, basically, he turns a torture rack into a Death Valley driver. But the the opponent is not facing down. They're facing up. So it looks actually more painful. And the way he hits this vertical heifer, I I thought he killed Misawa. I, oh, I really did. Because I thought, oh my God, he doesn't he just like crumpled him into the mat with his head and neck. Oh, thank God he's still alive. Oh
0: uh, yeah. It's it the way he hits this move. It is not a move that should be kicked out of. It is not a move that you should use a lot. This is a case of Kabashi realising, I need to put Masawa away. What will put him away? And it does. Uh, this burning hammer earns Kabashi the 1-2-3. The burning win the match. And for the first time in Kabashi's career, he has pinned Masawa in a title match.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's probably pinned Misawa in other matches, but this is the first time he's done it for an actual title. Not the Triple Crown, but for the World Tag Team titles. But you got to keep in mind, like, in all Japan, like, the World Tag Team titles are a huge, huge deal as well. Not as huge, of course, as the, you know, being the Triple Crown champion. But, you know, it's like, it's a good second place to be in if you're, if you're in the company.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll, I want to bring this up in a little bit, just how big the tag titles mean. And the crowd, so the crowd have actually been very even. They've been supporting all four guys throughout the match. But you get this lovely, big Kabashi chant there, who really recognise sort of, that Kobashi has uh, done an achievement in uh, managing to pin Masawa here.
1: But also you got to think that the crowd is like was super hyped and super appreciative of getting to see the burning hammer live.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, it's uh, because he must have only hit this one, maybe two times more before this point. Because this wasn't the first one. But I mean, Kabashi only hit it seven times. I know he did it at least a couple of times in Noah. So this must have been what? Number two, number three.
1: Maybe like I, I I didn't count them, but like it's a super finisher, right? Like he's not busting this out like for everyone. He's busting it out for Misawa. He's gonna bust it out maybe for Kawada, like or someone huge in like his later career in Noah. But most of his finishes are with a lariat. That's his. That's his. Or and I, I, hopefully not with the moonsault anymore. But like the lariat is basically I'm I'm wrestling fucking I don't know I'm wrestling fucking Takao Mori. I'll hit him with a lariat to finish him off. Okay, I'm wrestling Masato Kakihara. Uh, he's not getting a burning hammer. He's not even getting a moonsault. He's getting the lariat. But hey, you see the, the size of Kobashi's arms? That lariat is good enough.
0: That is a damn fine lariat, to be fair.
1: I mean, he doesn't even need to like hit the ropes. He just, he just, it's a short range Lariat. He just, he just puts all his weight behind that fucking thing and it's going to take your head off. Like it's, it's up there with Hanson's. It's up there with Kesuke Sasaki's. Like I think personally, it's the second greatest Lariat of all time after Stan Hanson's.
0: Yeah. It's, is definitely a, definitely a top tier Lariat. Um, and yeah, coming. Very briefly, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but your point with the burning hammer, uh, it's this kind of sense of this is a fantastically cool but dangerous move. I'm only using it when I really need to. This super finisher element, Uh I, I think it's something that is kind of missed and the nuance is missed because you had a lot of guys basically took the burning hammer and overused it dan math in ring of honor um and then you've got guys that basically use it but say oh we know it's unsafe so i'm gonna try and make it safe and you get the absolute travesty that is trent seven's birmingham which looks absolutely terrible
1: Uh, well i mean everything about trent seven looks fucking terrible from his like look to his gear to his wrestling moves like now like these guys dan Mav, trans i mean they go get fucked like they try to like they, they they either like dilute it by using it too much or they try to like dilute it by oh well since i'm not actually skilled enough to hit this move like to someone without actually killing them i'm just gonna make it look like a piece of shit so
0: if, go fuck if yourselves you, if you want to hit that move or move like that and have something that's safe steal yoshihiko uh not yoshihiko yoshihito sasaki's uh argentine coaster which is more which is very similar and just looks a lot better and a lot safer um yeah. or just, don't, yeah. do or just, yeah, just don't do it or just create your own just don't do it just create your own moves. don't stop stealing um, moves unfortunate, of people. unfortunately just don't do it is basically my summary of a lot of Trent Seven's career here's Here's a lovely little tip about the mindset of Trent Seven that I witnessed. Uh, I was at a, a shoot style, a British shoot style show, which uh, the first British shoot style show it was a production called uh, Tetsujin that had maybe 15 fans in the crowd who didn't know how to react to uh, a shoot style match. And after the end, uh, a guy I was with was talking to one of the rookies that was setting up the ring, sort of pointing out, did you notice how the big moves felt bigger because they were spread out? There, there weren't a lot of bumps and Trent seven comes past and his input, his creative input was the show needed more kicks. Oh, there
1: you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Anyways. A, the anyway, that's, that's
0: enough time spent on the man, The burning um, hammer.
1: I just want to say one point about the super finishers. You gotta, you gotta keep in mind there's, it's like nine years of people kicking out of the tiger driver your people kicking out of like the folding power bomb people kicking out of the lariat like that these guys by by necessity like whether good or bad by necessity you had to keep coming up with more dangerous looking moves with Misawa, it was from the tiger driver to the tiger driver 91 which drops you on your head mm-hmm. if you it's it I think it's probably the most dangerous of all these moves. Like if you don't take it, but he didn't think that was enough. Later on, he creates the Emerald Floshion, which I don't think looks as dangerous as the Tiger Driver or anyone because he's he's really in control. But like, hey, I'm I'm all for like him being more in control of someone like him controlling the fall of his opponent if it's safer. But Kobashi, you know, you know the the lariat is not enough anymore. Right for Masala Kawada Tawei people like that. So and I think he he smartly wants to lessen his use of the mood salt. So he comes up with the burning hammer, which looks amazing. But like if he does it right, like and he's in control, like he's taking a lot of the brunt of that with his own body and protecting his opponent. But my god, does it look great?
0: Oh yeah, it looks it looks fantastic, um, definitely. Um, one thing I hope you don't mind. Uh, you touched on it earlier, and I want to touch on it now. This was a great, great tag match, and um, I've one of the things that's crept in in the last few years is people making comparisons between this era of All Japan and sort of the the peak Bushi Road era of New Japan. And when you think about them making these comparisons. I think to me they're just comparing the main event singles division because if you're comparing new japan's tag division to classical japan's I'm sorry there's only one winner.
1: No there there has to be like there there's no comparison of taking ter- like overall like I will I will say for in favor of bushiroad's like you know you know presentation of new japan in the time that they've owned the company up till like maybe last year is that yeah they they're really good about creating new stars and they've been really great at establishing great mid event scenes but in terms of like the just if you're just looking at the tag division like i mean the junior division as, as much fault as I can find with the new Japan junior division, like when it comes to like, tournament time, my God, that thing is like the best of Super juniors is amazing and it 's a great division, and they produce yep. some amazing matches more than than all Japan has ever done in their history, like under Baba especially but if you took if you look at how the tag division is used in all Japan versus in new japan, there's no comparison like all Japan kills it like first of all, they don't like prostitute the belts to like Prop up somebody. They there's a there's always a story. There's always a reason for someone becoming a tag team champion in the company, and it's always to create a new star. Like whereas in in New Japan, the IWGP Tag Championship is basically just as a as hey, you guys don't have anything to do here. Take these belts.
0: Yeah, a a big a big. I mean, the core of the difference is all Japan are not afraid to have their biggest stars and their biggest names in the tag team division they're not afraid to oh we won't have these guys defending the triple crown tonight we'll defend the um the tag team titles instead and it doesn't matter because they're going to put on a match that the crowd are going to go home perfectly happy with they they trust these guys to uh carry the division and to treat the tag division as well as they treat the singles division And they do it. New Japan, it's like, oh, you know, our top stars aren't in the the tag division. It's like you don't see your Tanahashis and your Okadas and your uh, Naitos in their peak uh, in that division. So why should we care about this division? It's that differing philosophy. Um, I was looking at the cage match ratings for all Japan and six of the ten highest rated matches for uh, all japan's history were all tag matches from the 90s and the highest rated tag match for new japan was 48th which just shows it well
1: i mean traditionally new japan has had some great teams but again like their focus has always been as a singles company like not yeah. as like to to to, to I suppose it's the kind of different philosophies of like Inoki and Baba. Baba has always been a traditional pro wrestling booker, right? So it's like to him, tag team titles are just as important um, in making stars as anything else in, in the company and establishing uh, like having something your top star can do while they're not the champion is make them the tag champion and have great matches with tag team titles. Whereas Enoki is, is very much from like, you know, he's, he's a pro wrestler, but he's also like obsessed with MMA and he's obsessed with singles, you know, single combat sports, you know, and like boxing or, or martial arts, what have you. And there's like, he, he doesn't really, I think, and the philosophy carries through in the company throughout its history is like, you know, tag teams aren't, as important like that's what you're saying like i there's some great tag teams and tag team matches that have happened in new japan history i i love when the steiner brothers were in there i loved the team of Hase and kensuke sasaki Hase and Mudo and what have you but again like you're not going to have the same you you don't have the same level of quality with new japan's tag team title scene in its history as you do with all japan's in the 90s just because like the the philosophies of the companies are different enough, where like the tag team titles mean a lot more in in, in all Japan.
0: Oh yeah, no, agreed, uh, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's even in this because, as I understand it, this period of uh, of all Japan was kind of not to the. I wouldn't say not to the standard, but it's kind of it feels quite different to the uh, the early nineties, the mid nineties, and it kind of there is this kind of feeling of uh, of guys having to try and find something to stand out because there's a sense of sameness. So, but despite that, despite this um, feeling and period, it's like they're still capable of putting on fantastic matches like this.
1: Well, I think one of the things you, you see with the booking of Ogawa and Akiyama being the tag partners of Misawa and Kobashi, respectively, is that, you know, Misawa is going to get these guys ready in the next, I don't know, if like the exodus doesn't happen, I I totally think Jun Akiyama becomes, you know, triple crown champion by 2001. I think Ogawa becomes, I don't think he becomes triple, He. he you know what? He might have become triple crown champion because, Fucking Masala made him GHC champion <laughs> oh, oh, okay. at the height of Noah's popularity too. Um, and for good or worse, but like, you can see like in the booking, like he's getting Takao Mori and Yoshi, Yoshihiro tak- Takayama to become bigger stars in the company. Like he's, he's getting ready to face himself out as a top star and he's getting ready for Kobashi, not Kawada to, to, I think to his mistake, he he should have focused on both these guys to become the, he should have had two aces. He should have had Kawada yeah. and Kobashi be both like duo aces at the same time. Like, and he's going to step down. Like he's still going to be a big star in the company, but he's not going to be up there because he's going to run the company because Baba's going to die, you know, or has passed away. And he's you know, like, you know, if he could work it out to like take over the company for Mrs. Baba, that would have been, that would have been the best deal for, for, for all Japan, but it didn't happen. But the philosophy mark, I feel is like, okay, Ogawa, Akiyama, Omori, you know, Takayama, uh, Mossman. These guys, I'm going to get ready to be, take over the company in the 2000s. Like we've had our time. Kobashi's going to be the next Jumbo Saruda of the company. And like, I, and Masala's is probably thinking, I'm going to be like Jumbo. I'm here to put people over. I'm here to establish people beating me is going to make them as big a star as becoming the triple crown champion. But Kobashi's the one who's going to hold that, you know, that title. He's going to be the guy who's going to carry this company as its champion. I'm going to be carrying the company as its face not Mm -hmm. as its champion necessarily. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. It was that sense of succession and building succession and that, and that's really been Masauer's kind of legacy and almost his strength and weakness uh, as a, a booker, especially Coming into Noah, and I won't go in too long because, of course, this isn't a Noah podcast. Is how Noah was constantly blighted by pushing new guys to be the heavyweight champion and then cutting the legs off fairly soon because business uh, struggled. So, Masao is well aware he needs to build these new guys. It's just sometimes it's not successful.
1: No, uh, well, I mean,
0: it, it's very successful with Kabashi.
1: But- yeah but the, the thing what what i kind of want to just make maybe our final point on with that is yeah. is that with masawa's booking of noah like he cuts the legs off of marifuji he cuts the legs off of other people like you know i i i still think rikyo should never been champion in, in mm-hmm. noah but i think because he has to establish the company like you got to we have to. We all have to keep in mind. Noah is still a relatively, you know, is trying to establish itself as a company on tour and stuff. It's very successful, but it takes a while to get there from its its opening to like the point where like, oh yeah, these guys are still in the main event, but like they're older and they're not as good anymore. And that's you know, but they're still stars to a lot of people. But if he if he never formed Noah, if he stayed with All Japan, I don't think he would have had the same problems as he had with the business side of noah you know what i mean because it, it the business was already established the brand was already established and you're just carrying it over and you're and you're making stars of the the, the younger people in the on the do- on the roster in the dojo yeah. training and that i think i think people like morishima would have been way successful earlier mm-hmm. i think rickio probably would have had a bit more chance to become a a, a bigger star than he actually was and marafuji and kenta I think could have had a better chance of becoming legit heavyweight stars in, in their respective in like Noah, or if they never have, if no one happened then all Japan, but you know, that's a, those are just what is that that are fun to speculate on, but, who, but who knows ultimately, but that point being made, let, let's wrap it up here, Mark. And thank you yep. so much for, for coming on the show. Where can more people, where can people find more of, of uh, Mark buckel
0: Well, um, I mean, post-wrestling, with uh, when there's uh, big New Japan shows, you'll be able to find my reviews there. Um, When I'm not uh, doing the reviews for post, um, I will sometimes and occasionally post on my blog, which is sci-fi flow.wordpress.com. From the name, you could tell it was meant to be a mix of science fiction and wrestling and i kind of stopped writing about science fiction so i need to get back onto that um and other than that you can find my uh uh my slightly questionable wrestling takes and my very questionable jokes on twitter at at monkey underscore buckles
1: yeah, I'm not gonna get you into why uh, that's your Twitter handle. That's for another time, I'm, I'm sure. I think you probably talked about this on on your in a previous appearance on Post Wrestling, maybe with with Wei Ting or something like that. But uh, thank you so much for for being on the show, Mark. Uh, my name's WH Park. You can find me on Twitter at WH Park Nine. Oh, and
0: I think you had something that you wanted to mention oh, as well.
1: I do as soon as I'm done plugging my, my own, my own stuff, I get to plug one more of my own thing, something new. Uh, uh, you can find me at post Perez every month with John Pollock and post Perez bonus with, uh, rotating guests, uh, hosts with me, uh, near, you know, like that's, that, that shows on twice a month, once with John Pollock, once with the rotating guest, and yeah. And then if you like this show, if you are enjoying, uh, the you know the talk about the royal road uh, of uh, all japan pro wrestling of the 90s then uh, have we got some great news for you we are debuting the the first t-shirt for the long and winding royal road at store.postwrestling.com it's uh it was designed by an artist i know by the name of sean mckenzie and uh the layout was done by by waiting and it's a great looking shirt mark you've seen some of the art for this what do you think
0: yeah um it's definitely going to stand out. I definitely love the um, the characterizations of the guys on it. It it captures the the inner spirit of them definitely.
1: And, and uh, yeah, if you if you want to support the show, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, and and you think, wow, how can I support the show more besides just like listening to it and, and talking about it on social media? Hey, if you like if you like the show, if you like the people we're talking about i think you'll like this shirt please buy it please wear it please support it please uh you know like say hey i got this you should get one too there you go store.prosourcing.com the long and winding road road t-shirt and uh on behalf of mark thanks so much to all the fans for listening and uh i'll see you on the next episode of the long and winding road road and until then goodbye